turn to Luke chapter 15. We are in a series entitled Welcome Home, and we've been talking about the prodigal son in this series. And in Luke chapter 15, we've been kind of reading bits and pieces of the story. Hopefully you know the story or you've read the story sometime during the series. But we want to talk about today the high cost of our inheritance. The high cost of our inheritance. I want you to think about this. Neither of these boys appreciated their inheritance. We talked about this last week. Look at Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to, say it again, them his livelihood. Them. In other words, both of the sons received their inheritance. And one of them, by the way, both of them left home. (laughs) One of them left home spiritually and physically. The other left home spiritually and emotionally. But they both left home. One of them stayed home physically, but we know from his attitude, we looked last week at the older brother syndrome, we know from his attitude that his heart left home. Both of these boys thought that it was greener on the other side of the fence. Neither of them appreciated their inheritance. And I think one of the reasons that they didn't appreciate their inheritance, I don't think either of them realized how hard their father had to work for it. I don't think they, they realized what it cost their father because one of them went and spent it all and just wasted it. The other one acted as if he'd never gotten anything from, it, from his father. And we saw that last weekend, right? So why did they not appreciate their inheritance? And is there something that we need to understand about our inheritance? Well, that's what I want to talk about. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the four Greek words for redemption. Now, let me explain this to you. I think it was brilliant that the Holy Spirit decided to write the New Testament in Greek. Because Greek is a much more expressive language than English. We have one word for redemption. To redeem. There are four Greek words. And we don't even have that great of a context of redemption. When I was growing up, there used to be a store that my mother would take me to. Talking about how old I am now. It was called the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. That was my view of redemption growing up. Was that I was supposed to lick stamps until I passed out. In hopes that I would get something at the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. By the way, there's nothing for little boys at the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. And then even today, I don't have that great of an earthly view of redemption because uh, I've, I had an experience just recently in that a couple of years ago, my someone here in the church uh, gave my son a dog. And if I knew who it was, I would disfellowship you. Because the dog then becomes mine. You know, he lives at my house and in my yard and tears up my wife's flowers and all that stuff. And then we get we got another dog uh, from my wife's parents. And, you know, we had to get this dog. And, and we didn't know who the father was. This is one of those country dogs. You ever had a dog like that? You don't know who the father is. And so uh, uh, I really think the father was a coyote person. And I'm, I'm serious as I can be. Because this dog acted just like a coyote. Everything he did was like a coyote. Right after we got him, he jumped in our swimming pool, pulled the swimming pool cleaner out, and tore it up. That's not funny. That's $400 worth of funny. 
So I didn't want either one of these dogs. I didn't like them. I didn't care for them. I wanted them to go be with the Lord or something, you know. So, um, well, anyway, when the, the first dog wasn't that bad, but when the second dog got there, they just decided to get into trouble together. You know how that is? Kind of like kids, you know, getting together. So, so anyway, they started running off. Well, you know, I didn't look real intensely for them, but the family did. And so they found them the first time, and when they run off, you know, the pound gets them. Well, when the pound gets them, just in case this hasn't happened to you before, let me let you know what happens. They give them every shot that they might need. And then when you go to get your dog back, you have to buy him back. See, this is my earthly view of redemption. I had to buy back what I didn't want. Three times. We heard about uh, uh, some friends of ours. They, they had uh, two dogs, and, and they got out. And I'm not trying to be insensitive if this has happened to you, but their dogs got hit by a car. And I said to my wife, now, why can't our story ever have a happy ending like that story, you know? So, anyway, that's kind of our earthly. You understand what I'm saying? I had to redeem something I didn't want. But God redeemed something he wanted. And that was us. So I'm going to give you the four points today are actually the four the definitions of the Greek words. You need to see why the Holy Spirit chose these four Greek words. All right. Number one, the marketplace for slaves. The marketplace for slaves. That's the actual definition of the first Greek word that we're going to talk about for redemption. It's found in Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This word redeemed literally means the marketplace for slaves. Now, I want you to understand something. Slavery, just like any other atrocity against humanity, was because of sin. It never should have existed in our world. But slavery would be like any other evil that has happened against mankind, such as rape or murder or violence. In all of those things happen because of sin, because of the fall of man. But let me take you to understand what a slave market was like in biblical days. When you went to the slave market, they were encouraged, the people buying these slaves were encouraged to inspect the merchandise much like they would do at an auction for an animal. The way that you could tell if a slave, this is what they thought in those days, if a slave was strong and would work hard, would be by his or her teeth. If they had healthy teeth, they were probably healthy slaves. And so the heads of these people would be forced back, their mouths opened, so that a person could inspect their teeth. The people who were buying them were encouraged to kick them, or to hit them to test their strength. They were encouraged also to slap them, spit on them, and curse them to test their temperament. See what they were like. The female slaves, many times, were forced to disrobe because they were going to be used for immoral purposes. Even young girls. The most degrading, the most humiliating place that's ever existed on this earth, probably, was a slave market. Now, why in the world would the Holy Spirit use this word for redemption? Because when Jesus came to this earth, the beautiful garden that He had created 
had become a marketplace for slaves. And we were the slaves. Satan was our taskmaster, our owner. And he was doing everything he could to humiliate us and degrade us, to slap us, to spit on us, to mock us, to curse us, to disrobe us. Many, many of us, before we came to Christ, were disrobed in humiliation. That's where we were. That's where we were living before Jesus entered the marketplace. Now, here's the wonderful thing about our Savior. He didn't just wave His hand and get us out of the marketplace. He entered the marketplace Himself and became a slave. And, if you want to go through the crucifixion, which we're not going to go through, but just part of it, you need to understand that everything that we've endured, He endured. He was mocked. He was hit upon. He was kicked. He was slapped. He was cursed. He was spat upon. So that we would never have to go back to the slave market again. So that's the first word for redemption. The marketplace for slaves. And that's where Jesus came to get us. Now, by the way, the, the Greek word, if you, want to, um, if you want to know these and maybe study later, the Greek word is agorizo. Agorizo. A-G-O-R-I-D-Z-O. That's the English spelling of it. Here's the second meaning of the next Greek word, the second one. Point number two, out of the marketplace for slaves. Out of the marketplace for slaves. The Scriptures, Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us or purchased us out of the marketplace for slaves and out from under the curse of the law. Now, the Greek word here is real easy. It's ex agorizo. In other words, if you wrote down agorizo a moment ago, all you got to do now is put ex on the front of the same word. The prefix ex in the Greek means out of. So you got agorizo, which means the marketplace for slaves, and ex agorizo, which means out of the marketplace for slaves. Now here's the wonderful news of the gospel. Jesus didn't just become a slave, he got us out of the marketplace. <laughs> here's another word, again, that the Bible is trying to use to show us how wonderful redemption really is. And again, this is the high cost of our inheritance. When a slave was put on the auction block, he was sold to the highest bidder. In the same way, Satan put us on the auction block and sold us to the highest bidder, which would be, according to the Scriptures, we were sold under sin. This Romans says we were sold under sin. It also says we were slaves to sin before we were saved. So what sins were your masters before you got saved? You understand what I'm saying? Satan put you on the auction block, and he, may, he might have sold you to the sin of lust. And, and lust started in you as a young boy or a young girl, maybe looking at the wrong types of pictures. And then that, that master began to take you down a road that could have destroyed your life if it had not been for Jesus. Are you following me? And here's, here's what was incredible about Satan, was he'll sell you again, again, and again. He'll put you on the auction block again, and then he'll sell you to pride. And then he'll sell you to anger. And he'll sell you to bitterness and insecurity and inferiority and fear and rejection. And he'll just sell you to every type of master that you'll yield to. And we had absolutely no hope of getting out of this marketplace. You have to understand that. Without Christ... We were slaves of sin and could never have been set free. 
The only hope we have would be redemption, in other words, for someone to get us out of the marketplace. Here's the third definition, point number three, the full payment of a slave. The full payment of a slave. Hebrews 9.12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption or the full price, the full ransom of a slave. This Greek word is lutrosis, L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S, lutrosis. It means the, the full payment. Or the, the full ransom, the full asking price of a slave. Now, you, you understand that if a slave owner felt like his slave was a particularly good slave, and that someone was really interested in his slave, he'd raise the price. Do you think that Satan felt like the person that was trying to buy us was very interested in us? <laughs> You understand that the highest price that was ever paid for a human was paid for you. Not with the blood of bulls and calves, the Bible says, but with his own blood he redeemed us. We were horribly mistreated, horribly abused. We had absolutely no hope. Here's the reason I'm saying this. If you don't allow this revelation to stay fresh in your heart, you'll leave home. You'll leave church. You'll leave God. Satan will convince you. Now, here's the amazing thing. He'll convince you that slavery is better than freedom. And even as believers, he'll get us to go back into bondage. Isn't that incredible? That's how good he is. But we've got to be reminded of what it costs to pay for us. One of the best stories of redemption in the Bible is in the Old Testament. God told a man named Hosea to go purchase a woman from the slave market. And marry her. Unheard of in those days. Unheard of. So he goes and purchases this woman, marries her, and here's the amazing thing. After a few years, she begins to run around on him. And eventually she leaves him, but the man she's running around with decides he's tired of her, so he literally takes her back to the slave market and sells her again. And then that man abuses her and then takes her back to the slave market. And now all of a sudden, she, she went from out being taken out of the slave market. Here's the story of the prodigal in the Old Testament. Taken out of the slave market, married to a wonderful man that loves her, and she goes right back into the slave market. And one day when she's old and on the auction block and no man's bidding for her, from the back of the crowd comes an outrageous outlandish, extreme bid. And everybody turns around to see who it is. And it's Hosea buying her back. He bought her, and then he bought her back. And took her home and said to her, you're not going to do this anymore. You're going to be my wife. That's the picture. So, This means, this word again means, the full payment of a slave. Now, again, the next word is just a little different, but it's important to understand. The fourth word is, point four, the full payment of a slave's freedom. The full payment of a slave's freedom. This is found in Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That word redemption is the full payment. Now, here the Greek word here, it's like the other one. It's like the third one. It's 
apolutrosis. Apolutrosis. If you wrote down lutrosis, all you got to write down now is APO on the front of it. Again, it's just like the first and second words that we talked about. It just adds something. Lutrosis means the full payment of a slave. When you add apo to it, listen to what it means. It means to return back to its original state. Now listen to me. Jesus not only bought you, but he returned you back to your original state before the fall. Sinless in the sight of God. Not that we're perfect, but in the sight of God by his blood. No sins accounted against us. This is better than y'all think it is. Are you following me? We were in the slave market of this world. Come on, how many of you remember what it was like being in the slave market? Jesus entered the slave market to take us out of the slave market. But in order to get us out, he had to pay the full price for us. But he didn't just buy us so we could be his slave. He paid the price for our freedom as well. You follow me? (laughs) See, even in those days, you could buy a slave, but you could pay an extra price for the slave's freedom and set him free. And that's what Jesus decided to do. Jesus said, listen, I just don't want them to be my slaves. I want them to be my brethren. Look look at this verse, Galatians 4, 7. This is really good when you take it in this light. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Can I tell you something? You're not slaves anymore. You're sons and daughters of the Most High. (laughs) Because of what Jesus did. Because He did it all. He paid the ransom, not only for you to be free, but for you to be back to your original state. You know what your original state was? A son of God. A daughter of God. Matter of fact, one day I was reading, uh, I was reading the old King James this time, and I was reading the begots. You know, the genealogies and Matthew and Luke and all. And, and, uh, and I wanted to read them because I had read through the Bible before, but I had fudged. You ever done that? You ever fudge when you're reading through the Bible? Because you get to the begots, you know, I was at the begots, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. Pretty soon I begot tired. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm going to read through them so I can say I've read the whole Bible now, you know. So I'm, I'm not going to fudge today. And I was reading the begots, and I got to the end, and I wasn't expecting any revelation, and I got this incredible revelation in the begots. Let me show you one of the verses, Luke 3, verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth... The son of Adam, the son of God. I thought, well, how could that be? How could Adam be a son of God? Jesus is the only, that's what I was saying, Jesus is the only, and when I thought that, the Lord said to me, hold on, he's the only begotten of the Father, but he's not the only son. (laughs) I got lots of sons and lots of daughters. And Adam was created a son of God. No sin. You know what Jesus did for me? Returned me back to the original state. Before sin ever came in the world. Are you all following me? Now, let me take you down one last line and then we're finished. Adam was beside Eve when she sinned. And Adam did not fulfill his role as the head of the family. Adam was told before Eve was ever created to take dominion over every creeping thing. And there was a creeping thing talking to his wife. He did nothing to do, take care of that. And he, he sins as well. They both sin. But what if, what if 
Adam had not been there when Eve had sinned. I want you to think about this. And a conversation like this took place between God and Adam. Son, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your bride has sinned, and she must die. And Adam would have said something like this, but I don't want her to die. And God might have said, I can make you another one. I think Adam would have said, but I love her. God's response, someone must die. And maybe Adam would have said, then let it be me. And by the way, if Adam had died for Eve's sins, he would have resurrected if he had been sinless. You understand? I'm talking about if he had never sinned. If he had died, he would have resurrected because death and the grave can't hold a sinless person. Which is why you'll resurrect. (laughs) Two, by the way. Okay, now, now listen to me. I'm going to throw a little curveball. Okay? That conversation did take place. And it took place between God and Adam. But not the first Adam. (laughs) Did you get ahead of me a little there? That's good. 1 Corinthians 15.45, the Scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam or the second Adam. God one day said to the second Adam, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, son, but your bride has sinned and she must die. And the second Adam said, but I don't want her to die. God said, I can make you another one. Jesus said, but I love her. Someone must die. Then let it be me. Did you catch it? That's what your inheritance cost. Don't ever take it for granted. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.